Mean Line Media presents the Olivia Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Olivia Fox Podcast. I am Olivia Fox. Thank you so much, so much for tuning in to another episode. I know I say this each and every week that this is going to be the bomb episode, but I mean it this time. I really, really mean it because today joining me is one of the premier, if not the best, voiceover talent in the business. He is a media personality. He is a father, a husband, and he is my friend for over two decades. Please welcome to the Olivia Fox podcast, Cayman Kelly. What's up, brother? What's up with you? God bless you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you. You know, it's it's funny, you know, when you work in the industry for as long as we both have, you know, you have your perks and you go places and you see things. But for me, one of the greatest blessings I have had in working in this industry is meeting phenomenal, down to earth, cool people. And I count you among that be- and and a good friend. We can yes. go for months and not I didn't say months. We can go for months and not talk. But I swear <laughs> when we get together and talk, it's like we have not missed a beat. So I just want to say before we get into the business at hand, I appreciate you and your friendship. I value it. And and I love you. I love yeah, you. I love you. Hey, this sounds like a wrap up, but I love you too. This <laughs> sounds like the end of the podcast. I know. I know. All right, hey, the so- only, only thing that I wanted to ask you before you start is why you say every week that this is going to be epic. That's, um, that's like an artist when they come out with their album. This is the best album I ever created. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, I was going to feel real good before until you said that part. You could have left that out. No, but I mean it this time. I really, really mean it. <laughs> I mean it this time because we we friends and we go back. So I really, really mean it. Let's get into it, brother. You have done so many things. And let me just tell folks who don't know, we uh, came together in Washington, D.C. We met doing radio here in the Washington, D.C. area. And as radio goes, you know, our paths have taken us in different directions. But give folks a little bit of your radio background then we're gonna get into other things that you're doing and and you know he's an author i mean it's just all kind of stuff to cover but first let's let's cover the basics what is your history in radio how you get in how did you fall into this other than having that deep voice oh gosh you know that that was really like the main thing that led me to radio was my voice because it changed when I was about 12 years old. And uh-huh. you know how you hear people say things, man, you sound like one of them dudes on the radio. Because, you know, it was a deep voice back in the day. Hello, everybody out there in radio land. <laughs> you know, that's all That's all I heard constantly. And I would either get teased or somebody would say, I sound like one of the people on the radio. People in school would call me Lurch. Oh, what's up, Lurch? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was funny because my best friend and I were doing music. I taught myself how to play the piano. So I would put together tracks. He could rap. He was real good with words. So sometimes he would write me scripts and, and he called me one day. And he said, I'm about to be on the radio. Turn the radio on. So I turned the radio on. This dude on there rapping about a contest that they were doing. So Albie D, who was on the air, he invited us to the radio station. My father takes us there. And man, when I saw the inner workings of radio, I said, okay, I got to do this. So it became like a passion and a dream of mine to obtain, you know, that's all I could think about. Cause I already love music. They were playing music and just seeing the execution of it. Cause I listened to the radio, you know, that, that was our form of entertainment back in the day was listening to the radio. 
and radio people was larger than life. Now nobody really pays us attention, but <laughs> I mean, it was so cool, you know, just to see it and, and, and being around this. So I, I did radio in college. I always kept that contact at the radio station because we went up once a week to record stuff. And it was funny because the very first time we were there, the production director said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 15. He said, oh, my God, your voice at 15. And he gave me a script to read. And, and I often think about how this thing has come full circle from that moment. That was like 1987 when that happened. Mm. I was a sophomore in high school. You know, I didn't come back and looking for a job and couldn't find a job. And the Agnes, who was the uh, receptionist, she said, we going to a job fair tomorrow. You should come ride with us. So we go to the job. I went to the radio station and they were gone. I got there early and they were gone already. But it shows how fate would have it. Albie D was on the air. I went and picked up the security phone. He buzzes me up and we in there talking all these years later. I had graduated college. So I've known him from 10th grade up through college time. But I kept a contact with him and remind you, I told you we did music. Man, this dude treated us like we were celebrities. He would pick us up in a limo and take us to our little shows and stuff. So we we was hot back in the day. He played our record when we went to the studio. He played it on the air. You know how they used to do that rocket or drop it or is this a yes or is this a no? He did that for us. So, you know, he was always good for us. And and then he was the one who actually birthed my career because when I went in, he said, I don't really have a job to give you, but you can help me out on my show. So I supplemented my income by substitute teaching. And I went to that station every day. Hmm. So, you know, when I finally got on, I was making six dollars an hour. But that's that's for another part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and being in Washington, D.C., you know, Albie D is is really iconic. I had no idea he had such a. Uh, uh, a serious hand in your career and, and putting you on. So you left there and you went, cause when I think when I met you, you were on WKYS in Washington, DC doing um, yeah. the, was it the red light special. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so did you feel like when you were doing that, you kind of were pigeonholed because you had such a deep voice. And because I know you, I know your personality, your sense of humor. Did you ever feel like, you know, this is cool, but I think I know that I'm going to be doing other things bigger than this. Did you have that vision at that time? Not really. Cause you know, you know, what's funny. I grew up shy. So I was always really quiet. And you think about most radio people or most artists, they still introverted. And so you spend a lot of time by yourself. So I always wanted to do a slow jam show. You know, I started off doing overnights and I never did anything beyond overnights. And then I would fill in on a slow jam show sometime when I was at PGC. And then when I came over to KYS, I told um, I told Steve, Man, I want to do a slow jam show. Mm-hmm. He said, you may have your opportunity. So that that was always my passion. And, you know, people would tell me, they said, man, you don't even match. No, because when people met me in person, my personality didn't match what I was doing at nighttime, right. you know, because I could go to the club and I could rock the club, too, even though I was shy. But I don't like intimate groups. That's what I figured out about myself. I don't like small groups of people. It's too intimate. But if I'm in a large crowd with a microphone, I feel like I'm the most powerful man in the world. And it doesn't bother me like that. I think a lot of media people are like that, specifically radio. 
um, because, mm-hmm. you know, we do jobs that are so isolated because it's usually just us and yeah. the mic or maybe one person or producer. And so we're just kind of, we do what we do, but we don't even think about it. But then when you get out, like you said, in those smaller groups, you'd be kind of looking like, you know, <laughs> like a fish out of water, like, okay, I'm not right. really feeling that comfortable, but yeah, in a bigger exactly. group, you know, you good or whatever. So, so the radio thing, you did the radio thing. And this is where I think we kind of, um, our paths really crossed because, you know, you were doing characters on the morning show at WKYS, but then, you know, you, when I talked to you, you said you were going to New York and you were training to do voiceover. So how did that transition from being on the air to deciding, you know what, I'm going to go and, you know, get me some training from one of the top guys, Ed Green. How did you, how did you make that transition? What, what was the thought process and and where was the vision for that? So let me tell you how that happened. And again, full circle moments is when I first, Agnes, who I told you was a receptionist at the radio station, she got me a meeting with Jay Stevens. Because, you know, people that behind that front desk, they know everybody. Yep. They're like the gatekeepers. So I said, you know, it's it's important for us to be nice to everybody. You know, we can never determine where people are going to go just because they're there now. They may raise to other heights. You know what I mean? I mean, Oprah Winfrey used to be a a, a journalist on, on Baltimore television. Now she's Oprah. Right. You know what I mean? So you, you just can never determine where people are going to be. And while I was in school... I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I did an imaging demo that I played for Jay. I didn't know what I was. He said, man, never in my history if people bring air checks if I heard anybody do an imaging demo. And he took some of my stuff and wrote it down because I could always write, but I never knew like the whole voiceover thing. And Dr. Dave, who's a voiceover guy, you know, he, I knew him. And he said, you need to be doing something with your pipes. He used to always say that every time he saw me. I said, what I need to do? Because I didn't know anything about voiceovers. I would watch him record on a little reel-to-reel, put them in FedEx packages, and send them right. out. There wasn't no internet back then. You know what I'm saying? Everything was like, ain't no real-time stuff. Like, you've got to send this, and I'm going to send it back. So um, as I started to learn about what voiceovers were, were when the competition came up for PGC, they tapped me and they said, we want to try you out as the uh, the voice of the station. They said, go home and get some rest and come back tomorrow. But I hadn't developed an ear where I could actually hear myself. They was like, man, grab your, grab your stuff and, and say it like this. But I couldn't get it. I couldn't do it. They said, nah, you're not ready yet. But my focus was always being on the radio. I wanted to be a personality. I had no idea about this whole voiceover industry. So years later, um, I went to BET. We were providing a third-party channel for XM Satellite Radio. It was called uh, BET Uptown. And we were we would meet with the creative service people, right? So me being in those meetings, I knew people. And like I said, I don't like meetings and stuff like that because it was too intimate. So they would go around the room. Anybody got anything to say? I said, no, I'm good. But they met me, and they would come to my studio. Can you voice this for us? That's how my voiceover career was actually birthed. It was something that I wanted to do, but I didn't know how I was going to get in it. I didn't know anybody who would help me because it's so competitive. And, and, you know, and I started doing all of BET's radio commercials, like the Celebration of Gospel, the BET Awards. I taught myself how to do production. And um, later on, I became the voice of BET. And I was that for like seven or eight years. And that's, that's how I got in. And then I found Ed. I lost my job. That's what it was. 
And I always say, you know, like sometimes when people lose things, it could be a blessing in disguise because that forced me to unlock my potential. I just got married. We had just watched the house be built from the ground. We settled on the house, moved in. My attorney called me the next day. Your job is getting ready to fold up. I'm like, what? And I, I cried so many nights. I mean, I was sitting in the basement. Nighttime was the worst. And I was sitting there and cry like, what in the world am I going to do now? That's how I found Ed. I probably got sermons on my computer that I type because I always type my feelings out. Mm. That's how I got through it. And, and I'm going to tell you this story because I, I could talk. I'm long-winded when I start talking. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you this story, though, because this is, this is crazy how you can plant a seed, you know, because we always want instant gratification. But planting a seed is where it starts. And you have to be patient and let it blossom. So here's the seed. I married this phenomenal woman. She's doing her residency. We move in this house, right? I lose my job and I'm stuck. Like, what in the world do I do now? But my focus was on, okay, I get a check every two weeks. But now that's gone. But remind you, I, I said I, had, I started doing voiceovers for BET. That was income that was coming in. But I couldn't see it then. You know what I mean? So so then I said, man, I, I really want to do more. I find Ed Green online. I do an audition, but I self-sabotage myself constantly because I was told no so much. People promise you stuff, but they don't deliver. We're going to do this for you. I never got promotion. I created ways to promote myself. You know, so here we are. We're in this predicament. Now I don't have a job, but I got voiceovers. I take a part-time job which freed me up because a job would have tied me down. I don't think I would have reached the heights that I was able to reach if I had gotten a full-time job. You start getting comfortable. So now I got to unlock my potential. I auditioned for Ed, and I'm thinking to myself, this is where the self-tabotage comes in. He ain't going to never call me. You know what I'm saying? Because people told me no so much. I did it with no expectations. Nothing's ever going to come out of this. That dude called me and talked to me for like an hour. Mm. And he beat me up. He said, you hold your breath when you talk. That came from doing a slow right. damn show. You know, because I heard, hey, what's going on? It's, uh, you know, I felt like I had to do that. But he said, did anybody ever tell you that your voice is already deep? Damn it, just talk. Mm. Just talk. So, so the things that he taught me, and he said, he said, I'll work with you. I'll blow out my class to work with you one-on-one. Because I feel like you have potential to be one of the greatest in the industry, right? But I ain't got no money to be paying for no class. This stuff come with a cost. So Camilla, my wife, she said, did you sign up for your class yet? And I said, nah, because I got to make sure things around here are taken care of first. Extracurricular comes later. She was more disciplined with money than I was. I spent everything I had because I wanted to look good. So she goes, I got to check upstairs. I'm going to sign it over to you. Sign up for your class. Hmm. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. She said, no, I'm doing it. So she brings me this check and she said, don't look at this as me giving you money. Look at this as an investment in us. And that's when I was going to New York back and forth on that damn Greyhound because I couldn't afford to get on no train, you know, but just that spark and somebody believing in you and pushing you off the couch, like go. I believe in you. This is what we're going to do. And that, that same woman 
was the same one who encouraged me to leave my full-time mm. job to become an entrepreneur. And you look years later, what that blossomed into. Wow. And you know what? Sometimes all it takes is that one person to have that vision mm-hmm. and have that belief in you. And you just so happen to be married to Dr. Camilla, where she saw that greatness mm-hmm. within you and was willing to say, you know what? I believe in you. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And there you are. Yeah. And so now I'm hearing you on commercials. I'm seeing you on television or hearing your voice on television imaging. And then, and, and I know I'm skipping over a lot because you've been on tons of radio stations. Uh, uh, what is it? Power 105 in New York stations here, oh, stations mm-hmm. in other countries. Correct. Am I right? So, you, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you just blew up. So then the ESPN thing comes back. Now, I know because I know you what that had to mean to you. But how did that whole thing come about? And how did you go from there? to doing the NFL promos, you know, um, NBA. How did that hold? Because to me, that's like stratosphere. Like, I think that's what a lot of people, you know, aspire to be, to get to that level. How did all that, how did yeah. all that come back? And I might add, first yeah. African-American to do the damn thing. How did that transpire? Yeah. So, so again, life happens. It's crazy unbelievable you know but it wasn't it wasn't anything that i did you know what i mean because when i started doing radio imaging i never even considered that side of voiceovers you know all i thought about was commercials and promos and things like that because again i always thought about being on the radio as a personality i didn't think the two could coexist so it just so happened that a friend of mine who i befriended from new york he said man power's gonna look for a new voice Want to put a demo together? I was like, yeah, cool. I do it. So we put together this demo. I don't hear nothing for months. Then he comes back again. They get ready. They closer to making a decision. You want to do the demo update? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we update the demo. And again, self-sabotage. I don't think I'm going to ever hear anything from this, but I do it. Then we get the call and the guy's fighting for me. They want to know what you've done already. And again, it takes people to take a chance on you when you haven't done anything before. You know what I mean? Because we're so cool with going with what we're comfortable with. We don't ever want to give anybody a shot, you know, and, and shout out to Steve Harvey, who got 50,000 jobs. Those could, those jobs could be split up amongst people, but nobody wants to take a chance on anybody. I finally get my chance. And my first radio station that I started imaging was in New York. Number one market in the country. So I'm voicing Power 105. And just off the strength of having that, other radio stations started coming. I got a call from Milwaukee. Then I got a call from El Paso, Texas. So the ball just started rolling like that. And then they was putting together a syndication deal. Didn't tell me what it was. Are you free to do syndication? That became the breakfast club that I've been voicing. And you see that that show is out of here. You know what I'm saying? That thing is huge. So I started doing that um, and, and to talk about the ESPN thing. It was funny how this happened because I was running ads because you don't exist unless somebody knows. So I started running ads on different platforms and I had just told my wife, I said, man, I'm going to take that thing down. I think I'm wasting money. 
And again, patience. You don't know who's seeing what and when. And I swear, as soon as I said that, I'm sitting down one day and I get this message through my website. And of course, I Googled the guy. I said, is this right. legit? Because he was talking about ESPN. And I look him up. He's a VP. And I'm like, whoa. I called him. It was a brief conversation. He said, let's talk Monday. So I took some time and I made a list of questions that I had, right? I called him back and we talked. And I said, now when you say ESPN radio, because ESPN radio got 500 and some right. affiliates, right? So I said, do you just mean like ESPN in DC? He said, no, man. I'm talking about you'll be the national voice of ESPN. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I ain't right. sure it out loud, but I was, you know, I was cool with it. Okay, okay, okay. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, okay. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, man, you'll be the national voice if we could pull this thing off and make it happen. And I'd be damned if it ain't happen. And then, you know, just being in position to receive is what matters. So me being on the radio on ESPN as a national voice, somebody hears me on there, he sends me an email. He said, I love your range on the radio. Might have some possible work for you in MNF, right? So I'm looking at this. What the world is MNF? So I Google MNF and I say, Monday night football. He said, are you free for a conversation in 20 minutes? He and I talk. I demoed that, right? So he, he said, he called me back. He said, uh, and I said, well, just tell me what you want. You know, give me some guidance. I want to deliver what you want. So I do it over. He said, perfect. This is it. He said, I'm going to push this up the chain. They call back the next day. We get ready to do the deal. So I've been doing that for three seasons. Then I get a call from the NF, uh, NHL, and I start doing hockey. Man, and, and you talk about when you get to heights, I still deal with the same thing. And I tell people all the time, just being transparent. I create so much anxiety for myself because I want to be the best, you know, like, and I, I want to do it right, but you never know what another person is thinking. So when I first get my hockey scripts, I'm sitting there looking at it. There's no direction on it. And I'm like, how do I deliver this? And something that would normally take me like five or 10 minutes. I spend hours on this thing. Then I go to bed and can't sleep. Cause I want feedback, you know what I'm saying? And there was no closure to it. And then they hit me the next day. Can you slow it down a little bit? So that's what I needed, but I, it wasn't there, you know? So I, I voice NHL and then comes NBA. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing an NBA. So that, I mean, it just happened like that. Nothing that I particularly did. Like I want this. It just kind of failed just being in position. You know, so I think a lot of times when people position themselves, they're ready, you know, to receive. I've been doing this for years. It didn't happen overnight, but now I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. And I think that's important because a lot of times when we see successful people or hear about the success of those and a lot of people, I mean, you know, we're performers, so we know it doesn't just happen. But a lot of people, especially mm -hmm. the newer generation that comes up, they don't know. They see the, they know the beginning, but they see the end. They don't know that dash. All that work, all yeah. that hustle, all that grind. Like you said, the self-sabotage, the anxiety, wanting to be, you know, perfect, mm -hmm. 
wanting to succeed and they just don't know it. So you out here telling folk about, you know, how you got to this point. um, I think it's a message that definitely needs to be heard. And I wish more people would tell their stories about the journey. You know, one thing I really like Mm -hmm. to do when folks come on this podcast, of course, give everybody their flowers. But I want people to share the struggles, to share the journey, because it's so important Mm -hmm. to understand that nothing happens overnight. Although it may seem like it, although it may sound like it, because when people hear you, they be like, damn, he's smooth. But it took you, <laughs> you know how we do. Came <laughs> out here killing it, but they don't know what you had to do yeah. to get to where you are. And so, I mean, that's yeah. just, it's mind blowing. You know, it's mind blowing. But I know, you know, you are where you're supposed to be just simply by the way things have kind of moved along with that. Now, yeah. one thing that I did want to talk about is the health crisis that, that you had. And if I'm not mistaken, it was January 2022? Yes, January 17th of so 2022. So here you are at the pinnacle of your career, beautiful family, beautiful, supportive, smart wife, and then boom. You have a stroke. Yep. Tell us the story. Mm-hmm. Tell us the story, man. Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, like I said, it was January 17th of 2022. And I think it's probably a date I'll never forget. And this is, you know, telling this story and, and being transparent, like you said, and actually sharing can be a blessing to somebody else, which is, I was making up the bed one day and I said, you know what? I should really tell this story because of the way men have been jacked up with Western civilization. You ain't supposed to cry. You I man up. Now I'm going to tell you, I cry. I sit down and I cry boo hoo. And like, since I gotten older, I'm really sensitive to stuff. I see stuff and I'm like, but anyway, that morning, I had some auditions to do. So I was in the booth and I was trying to do, and you have difficult days. Like you look at the script, like, damn, I ain't feeling this today. So I just thought it was one of those days. Cause I couldn't really get through the script and I felt off a little bit, no symptoms or anything. So I go lay on the floor. The kids had a dentist appointment. It was Martin Luther King day. So everybody's out. This right hand would got numb. And I got up off the floor and you know, like, and I'm thinking, Damn, I must have laid on this thing. But I wasn't laying on this side. I was laying on this side. So I walked to the car, take the kids to the dentist. I sat in the hallway because of COVID. So they went in and I sat down. And I was trying to type a message to the agents because I was late on that audition. So I was seeing if I could get a little more time. Livia, I could not type. I kept seeing the same letter over and over again. So, you know, I discounted. I'm like, what in the world? What in the world? So I had to go to the bathroom. So I get up. The door's locked. I sat back down. I said, I don't feel like going to get the key. But you know, when you're 50 years old, if you don't pee, <laughs> it's going to get worse, right? So I said, let me go into this bathroom. <laughs> so I go get the key. And I go in the bathroom, and I stick the key in my pocket, right? So I'm getting ready to wash my hands. 
And I'm standing there. I turned the water on, but I was just standing there. I didn't realize it at first, but like the thoughts just kind of like went around, but my body wasn't responding to what I was thinking. So when the thought came around again, I was like, damn, I'm just standing here. I'm not even washing my hands. So I took this left hand and put it in the water, but this right hand, I couldn't really feel. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking to myself out loud. And I picked this hand up and put it in the water and started washing it off. Then I took the paper towels and dried them. I mean, this thing was like just there. And I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? So again, I'm going back to the hallway. I put the key back and I sit down, try to type again. I start dropping the phone on the floor. Boom. I pick it up. It drop again. I was like, damn. So I just stuck it in my pocket. I unzipped my coat and I just sat there for a minute. I was like, damn, something ain't right. So the kids come out. Caitlin's talking to me about something. I said, not. I said, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Get in the car. Olivia, I'm sitting there. Again, those thoughts was looping. I knew I had to put the car in reverse to be able to pull off. I don't know how long I was sitting, but I finally get in the reverse. I pull off. I drive home. One of my neighbors was coming out the neighborhood when I pulled in, so I went to wave with this hand. Whoa, I don't know what that feeling was. I was like, that ain't feel right. Pull in the driveway. Daughter jumps out. Boys sitting there talking to each other. They said, where you pulling the garage, daddy? And I said, oh, man, give me a minute. I said, I don't really feel good. So I sit there again, and then I finally pull in. And long story short, when I get in the house, because I could walk fine and everything, what? you know what I did? I just went and tried to work again. Mm. I was so, you know what I mean? And that's that's something, a problem with business culture. Because people don't take care of themselves. I never had the thought of like, man, I hope I'm okay so I can work. You know, you don't have no health. You can't do nothing anyway. I came down in my studio and I'm trying to get the cursor to the top of the screen and couldn't do it. I'm frustrated. Like, I was like, what? I tried my left hand. I couldn't do it. I said, oh, my God. So there's a bathroom across and I went to the bathroom. And I'm looking at myself to see if I look different. And I just start crying. Oh, gosh. My son came. He said, Dad, can you help me open this? And I said, give me a minute. So I wipe all the tears out. I open the door. He's still there. He got this jar. He said, can you open this? And I said, oh, no, man. But I took it and I popped it open. So I had grip strength, but I had motor skills. And he cooked and he brought breakfast to my studio. And I was eating, right? And I noticed like when I when I pulled the food up, I couldn't get my hand all the way up to my mouth. So I was compensating. I was lifting it up like that. Then I said, damn, what's wrong with my hand? And you know, self-diagnose. Look, it ain't nothing but some. We do that. (laughs) I must got a pinched (laughs) nerve or something. That's what I was thinking. So I said, man, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to wash some dishes, try to get this hand going. So when I went to wash the dishes, right, my son says, he said, I got it, Dad. Let's go ahead and do what you got to do. I should have known something was wrong with my ass then. Them kids don't volunteer to do right. nothing unless you ask them to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I took I took four ibuprofens, Olivia. I got high blood pressure. You ain't supposed to be messing with no damn ibuprofen like that. But I'm thinking, like, I got to loosen this hand up so I could work. I get back downstairs where I left my phone, and it was ringing when I got back to the studio. You know who Your it was? Wife. Exactly. So I pick up the phone. I said, hello. She said, hey. 
I said, hey, mm. and she said, what's wrong? So I'm like, how the hell she knows something wrong? Because at first I wasn't going to say anything. But then I went, uh, I said, I'm not really having a good day. She said, what's wrong? I said, I can't feel my right hand. I don't have no motor skills in it. She said, did you dial 911? And I said, nah, I didn't. Well, you should dial 911. She said, if you don't, I'm going to take you to the hospital when I get home. I said, no, I don't need to go to no hospital. I'm good. I'm going to go take a shower. I said, I took some ibuprofen. Ibuprofen? Why would you do that? If you have a bleed, it's going to make it worse. Olivia, I went and got in the shower. That shower felt good. I stayed in there for a long time. She come home. She said, all right, let's go. I said, I put some clothes on. <laughs> I tried to make up every excuse. And then she said, grab my hands. And I grabbed her hand. She said, squeeze. I squeezed her hands. And she said, hmm. That's interesting. You have equal grip strength. She said, but your speed sounds weird. You're really slow. She said, worst case scenario, if nothing's wrong, you come back home. I'm riding in a car, and I think that's when it hit me. I said, damn, this is more than my hand, because I started thinking about all the cognitive decline. Me in the bathroom, not washing my hands, me not backing the car out. You know, and meanwhile, time is ticking. I don't have the slightest idea what's going on with me. By the time I get to the hospital, I'm talking like, um... And, um, yeah, and then I had, she said, tell me about your headache. I said, yeah, no headache. But then I started remembering every time I mm. bent over, I felt this pressure here. And it was like a pain. It wasn't like a headache, but like, oh, God, I got to lay down. My head hurts. It wasn't like that at all. So uh, the nurse called in the back to see if they was concerned about stroke. It seemed like nobody was concerned. Cause Lord knows I sat in that damn waiting room. It wasn't nobody there. But they put me right. back in the little curtain area. And I'm sitting back there forever. Then they gave me some Ativan. I had an allergic reaction. I started itching. So they gave me some Benadryl. Ow. And I'm in that wheelchair like this. <laughs> Not. I ain't never know my wife had left. She went home to check on the kids. And she came back. I had finished my MRI. So the doctor said, um, he said, yeah, we found a clot on your brain. And it's life-threatening. And I was like this, oh my God. You will be admitted. So I was like, damn. Now, when I'm driving to the hospital, I'm thinking, I got to be home by 4 o'clock because right. I have a session for the NHL. Right? That's what I'm thinking. I call my boss on the radio to tell him nobody's going to be on the radio. I'm on my way to the hospital. Can you call somebody? So, like, I'm thinking about all this stuff that falls apart. Now my wife got to have my phone to respond to everything. Right. Luckily, I'm a clean dude. <laughs> that could have been ugly. <laughs> oh, boy. Right. I'm leaving your ass here by yourself. <laughs> so, look, that next morning, it don't even end there. So, that next morning when I'm laying there, they bring breakfast in the room. I couldn't eat it because I couldn't use my hand. So, she comes in. She's like, oh, good. They got you breakfast. Want to eat it? And I said, yeah. I said, I ain't really that hungry. She takes the little tray thing off. It was some pancakes. It was turkey sausage and some eggs. So I eat a couple bites of the pancakes. She said, I don't know about these eggs. You want to try them? And I remember her stabbing the eggs. The next thing I know, I'm looking around the room. All these nurses and doctors was in there. And I could see her standing over top of me fighting back tears. She said, oh, God, it's so much blood. Blood? Like, what happened? I didn't even know I was out. Olivia, I couldn't talk. Scary. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. Oh I was God. and they kept saying, lay down, lay down. It's okay. I wasn't being combative, but 
but I couldn't communicate to tell them I'm just trying to catch my breath. So you could just imagine. And I'm going to tell you, I had so many thoughts that went through my head because I read this book years ago. This lady named Joan Baker, she was a voiceover artist and all the big voiceover guys contributed a chapter each to this book. And the proceeds went to Alzheimer's research because her father had Alzheimer's. And at the end, everybody had to answer the same question. What would you do if you lost your voice and you couldn't speak anymore? That thought came to my head. I was like, oh, my God, I talk for a living. I can't even talk. So, like, from having that experience, I have so much more respect for life. And I said, I, I got to change some things. I got to change the way I operate. I can't stay up all night. You know, because it's, it's creative brains are a gift yes. and a curse at the same time. You know what I mean? Because you can't really rest until you get stuff out. So I spent a lot of time and, you know, executing a radio show every day. The amount of prep, because I don't have a team that I work with. I'm constantly watching news. Oh, ooh, that's interesting. I'm writing notes. I'm reading all the time just so I can have things to talk about because I don't want to talk about people's problems and their gossip and all that stuff. I'm in the headspace of like, what can we do to better some lives? You know, that's my contribution to the world because I always looked at a radio right. show as being more of a ministry. You know, you can entertain. We can all go to the party. But what, what what's after that? And I'm going to tell you, like when I turned 50 in September, it kind of bothered me a little bit, not to the point where I was angry because I was 50. But it was like, oh, my God, like my life has already been threatened. I was in that space. So I sat down, I started typing and I listed all the things that I've accomplished in my 50 years of being on the earth. Then I started asking myself questions. Does my life have any impact? Was I the best father that I could be? Was I a good husband to my wife? I'm not saying that I'm perfect at anything, but did I have an impact on society? Did I bless anybody else's life? I wrote all of this stuff down. These are the questions that I had. And then I said, if I was to leave here, does it end there? Or do people still talk about me? The legacy. You know what I mean? So the legacy. That was what it's all about. And 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 um, you know, some of the things that you and I talked about, other people have talked about, it solidified. All of that, everything that I questioned myself on, then I said, yeah, I have. You know what I mean? Because I, I just have such a respect for life, even the things that I do in life. I have a respect. And I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> you know, having made history as the first African-American to do Monday Night Football and National Voice at ESPN, I never had a chance to celebrate any of that. Because I always felt like we got to go above and beyond as African-American. We got to do so much more to even remain relevant. So we're just like, okay, cool. Get right back to work. You know, and then we feel guilty yes. when we need a break. We don't take a break. We never tell anybody no. You know what I mean? And I said, there's a, a lot of power in the word no. So, you know, having these experiences, and I'm glad I recovered, you know, because I recovered probably within the same week of being in the hospital. Not fully, but there was like that, like the blood clot resolved on its own. Um, I was on blood thinners for a while. I had to take an anti-seizure medication because that's what happened to me when I went out mm. with the eggs. I had a seizure. I never had a seizure in my life. 
and it came from the irritation of the clot on my brain. So by the time I went to therapy, the lady said, I'm glad you came, but you don't have to come back. She said, you look great. I didn't drive from January till August. So you talking about somebody who was fully independent and goes to being dependent on. Oh, my God. I think it was more. It's a mental, mental thing anguish than because it was you physical. can't go. You can't yeah. do and you can't be as you once right. were. And it's almost like every time yeah. you go to think to grab the keys, you kind of have to mentally relive everything that has happened that brought you to that point. That messes with your head. Oh, yeah. You'd be like, oh, we need some fruit. <laughs> oh, damn, I can't go get it. You know what I'm saying? I got to call somebody, see if they take me to the store right quick. It, oh Especially my God, being, man. you being a man, oh my father, God. head of your household. I mean, that had to be yeah. rough. Mm. Yeah. My, my, my wife called my mother to come mm. babysit me. Can you come over here and be with him? She wouldn't let me do You know Camilla's <laughs> a good woman, though, man. Your wife is a good woman. <laughs> you get in that shower. Don't you bend down there and wash your feet. I'd be in there. <laughs> oh, God. But, man, I you know, and I'm so thankful, Olivia. And I don't take it lightly, you know, because we've been married for 21 years. I still like her. She still like me. You know, because you can love people. But to be able to say that you actually still like somebody, it's a big deal because you can love from a distance. And I, I don't take any of it lightly because she's been very supportive of me. She never ridiculed me on my down times. And that's the thing about a relationship. You don't know who's going to be down when. But, you know, just the support. I support her, you know, because it's important that we reciprocate. And, you know, and I love I know everything you do. about life. Now. I know you do. And then, she, you know, speaking of your wife being that support system for you, she creates this book to help others. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, as a woman yeah. with your husband, when something happens, it impacts the whole family. But instead of collapsing into it, yeah. she puts together a book to help others. Tell me about it. Yeah, mm. she, she was advocating. So she said, I came up with this idea out of the space of advocacy. Because, you know, when you don't feel good and you can't speak for yourself, Absolutely. somebody got to be there for you. You know, and she caught she caught a few things, you know, because we got we got some problems in our healthcare system. And most people don't even really know how to navigate the healthcare system. So, you know, her having an end, she ain't going in and out. So I'm a doctor, too. He sat back and let it play out. One doctor put in his chart that he had examined me. That dude ain't touched me. He stood at least 20, 30 feet away from me the whole time he was in the room. But she looked in the chart and she was like, did he do an examination? All right, we got a problem here. She mm. called him in and talked to him. She nailed him. Nobody would ever think about looking to see what people write down about them. So out of the space of advocacy, you know, like I have aging parents that you had to take to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. She created this, this medical journal right here. It's called The Engagement, a journal to prepare for and log your medical appointments, which which creates, you know, effectiveness. And she dedicated this to a marginalized community. So you got a physician contact list here, um, like your medical information, the, the medications that somebody may take, because we don't talk about our health in right. our families. You don't know who got what. These talk about, well, are they taking any Medicaid? Yeah, they take this little, little pink right. pill right here. You know, that don't mean nothing. So having it all in one place and being able to have effective 
doctor visits, you know, your allergies, are you allergic to anything? And I, I said, oh, my God, that's amazing, because she worked on it, you know, in silence for a while until she was ready to show me. And, and you know, sometimes we do have to work in silence. You can't tell everybody everything because yes. they talk you off the ledge. You know what I mean? You got to learn how to turn so that noise down. now she has this book that will hopefully help others, because, again, when you're sick, you cannot advocate for yourself. But the information is so pertinent and important in terms of medication, your visits and to question the doctor's. A lot of times we will not ask Mm -hmm. questions because, well, he's the doctor. He knows you have to have, you know, the whereabouts to tell and ask and understand what is going on with your own health. Now, you have written two books, the book from six dollars an hour to a million dollar dream. The process isn't easy, but your decisions determine your outcome. I know you got to go, but tell us a little bit about what you, what made you decide to write that book and 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 where folks can get that. Man, this this book came about because somebody told me, you know, when I start sharing my story, because like we said early in the conversation, just transparency and, you know, making six dollars an hour was an embarrassment. As you think about working at a hundred million dollar radio station. And people think you living good, but I was in the ashtray trying to find change to get some, ash, there. some get some gas. You know what I mean? And it was a decision, it was a decision between do I eat or do I go to work? Like literally, like for real, for real. And working as a grown man that had graduated from college, making six dollars right. an hour, people make more than that flipping burgers. You know what I'm saying? Here I am at a radio station worth a hundred million dollars. So somebody said, "Man, you should write a book." And I never thought my story was interesting enough to write a book. But everybody has a story. It doesn't mean that I had to grow up in a single parent household or grow up in the hood or any of that. This story and, and this, this title came to me while I was asleep. I said, damn, this is it right here. So I use this book to illustrate. And if you could see like on my walls, these are people that I interviewed through through the years and they autograph it. And sometimes I sit in here and I just look around at the different um, artists and everybody's stories are very similar. You know, because they had a starting point. They went through some struggle to get where they were going. And I don't think people really arrive. And just having the opportunity to talk to so many people that had these blessings that came out of the skies of losing something. You know, I mean, we're not we not far removed from each other. So I use some of their stories in this book to illustrate how similar we are to each other. And I, I, I told my full story. Some of it I left out to protect the innocent. But it's all in here. And then after each chapter, I ask some questions so you can find where you actually are in your journey. You know, because a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't know what, what I have to offer. Everybody yes. has something to offer to the world. So this, this, this is one of those books that are helping. It's on Amazon.com. That's it right there. And the there. other book, Three Key the Mindsets to Achieve Your Dream. That's just, that's a miniature okay. book. So that's a breakdown of this book right here. And, and that's free on Amazon download. I could talk to you on and on and on. Your story's phenomenal. You have shared so much. I, I appreciate your transparency. I appreciate you talking about something as personal as a health crisis is. Um, for those of you who are, you know, trying to figure out how you can see and hear this man, all you got to do is turn on TV. <laughs> but you can also turn on Sirius XM, your own heart and soul. What time are you on there? I'm on from noon to six, Monday through Friday. 
And how do they find you online? Maybe somebody out there trying to holler at you. They want to get to you and talk to you. How do they do that? I'm on so my, my favorite platform is Instagram. So I'm at Cayman Kelly, C-A-Y-M-A-N-K-E-L-L-Y. And uh, I have a website that's caymankelly.com. I appreciate you, brother. Continued success. I know you got to run. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I got to tell y'all, Cayman Kelly, what you hear is what you get. He's not one of these kind of people, you know, million dollar man. And, you know, he you don't know. He is as he was back when he was making six dollars. <laughs> I just know I had to hustle his heart. Oh, my God. You know, you know what's funny? And I say this because, you know, I was talking about this the other day. Those moments, it taught me so much, you know, that. Of course, I don't want to go back to that, but those were some of the best days of my life. Not the $6 part, but the things that I learned, you know, going in a review and somebody telling me, man, you're a great guy, but your follow-up is weak. The things that he told me, I live by to this day because I thought that if I do a good job, that you'll come to me and tell me, we're going to offer you this position. He said, no, it don't work like that. If you don't speak up for yourself, we'll roll right over top of you. And that goes for it any business or anything that you do in your life, you got to be in a space of speaking up for yourself. Otherwise, people think you're comfortable with the Absolutely. way that you're living. My mother used take to tell me a story you. about The Rock and how, you know, when you're going through rough times and going through tribulations, you wonder why. But, you know, they worked The Rock and worked The Rock and then you had to go up against the water and the wall. And you got to go through all these things and become a diamond so you can shine. And it's really not until you shine and that you look back and you mm-hmm. think this time that you were going through was some of the hardest times, but those times make you who you are. And so now you shine. You see how I did that? Yeah. <laughs> I see how you did that, preacher. Come on, let's pick up all friends. Came in, Kelly. I tell you, I wish you continued success. Please tell your lovely wife, all your children, I said hello. And we'll talk again soon. You guys, thank you so much for listening to the Olivia Fox podcast. Can't do it without you. Make sure you subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend to check out your girl. And we will talk again soon. The Olivia Fox podcast is produced and hosted by Olivia Fox. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Olivia Fox podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, comment, and rate. Follow Olivia Fox on IG at Olivia Fox Radio. Follow the Mean Online Media Podcast Network at Mean Online Media. Get the Mean Online Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The Olivia Fox Podcast is a Mean Online Media production.